Hey, what's going on? We have a new wrap available for pre-order. So check out trainingforultra.com. And this is an affordable, it's $9.99, free shipping in the U.S. Wrap that we all we all use on the trails, and now with COVID, we need them more than ever. But it's a new design, and I'm taking pre-orders. Hopefully, we can get these out here early November, and then also it would be a, a cool gift option. But all the proceeds, you know, if there are any profits from the wrap, it's all getting rolled into more inspirational content for you guys hi i'm chef gonzo welcome to the training for ultra podcast if we could just free ourselves of our perceived limitations and tap into our internal fire the possibilities are endless i'll tell you about it when it happened in the race but to be honest with you it happened even before the race it happened in the training great cause oh thank you i respect that man so you keep doing what you do it man Jam Jam, Jamil Curry here from Era Viper Running, and welcome to the Training for Ultra podcast. For all you kids out there, stay safe and stay strong. Hey everyone, it's the Training for Ultra podcast. Scott Jurek here. I was physically totally wrecked. I, I had nothing left. I figured I might as well move as quickly as possible towards the finish line if I was going to be moving towards it anyways. How do you even do that? decided if I could, you know, finish a 50 miler, I could probably run across the country. Right now, I'd say that my beers per day is still higher than my miles per day <laughs> that I'm running. 100 miles is not that far. Hey, this is Carl Meltzer, the Speed Goat, and I want to welcome everybody to the Training for Ultra podcast. Welcome to episode 147 of the Training for Ultra podcast. My name's Rob. I also go by Training for Ultra. We have a really great episode. Chef Gonzo, friend of, of me personally, I guess, from trail running. And then I haven't heard his story told by many people. Really wanted to share just a unique, fun story, inspiring. I mean, this guy's an entrepreneur. He's He's founded his own chocolate company. He's a chocolatier during the daytime in his uh, in his career path. And then, you know, in his spare time, he's training for ultras. He's had some good success with those. And he's stretched out the distance all the way to doing a 200. So I just really like to hear all about how he's progressed as an entrepreneur, but then also as a successful ultra runner. So... Big thank you to the show sponsors. Shout out to Kogala. If you haven't tried out their light, it's pretty much a game changer. If you're running in any kind of darkness, I what I do is I attach to a waist belt. I put a battery pack behind that light and turn my light on low. And it truly changes running, you know, at night. It it takes a lot of the fear factor out just because the ability of the light to spread all over the place, you know, it gives you a lot better comprehension of where you are on the trail and what's around you. And it lasts a really long time. I put the battery packs in drop bags. That's how I could do something like Bigfoot 200 without a crew because I was just swapping out battery packs throughout the entire race. But 
If you're interested, check out the show notes. I have a coupon code within there. Big shout out to Exoskin. Again, this is a game changer within equipment for ultra running and running in general. They have great gear for training, for road running, and for just extreme ultra running. I'm a big fan of their toe socks, as you guys are well aware, for super long runs. And I like their regular socks just on, you know, a quick training run of five miles, very high tech material that allows my foot to breathe. And there's been some serious R&D that went into them and they, I can say they're game changers and I use them on every one of my races, every one of my runs, but they have more than just socks. They have headgear leg and hopefully soon here arm sleeves but they do have calf sleeves that i use quite often always during races base layers of all sorts compression tops that are really breathable uh, high-tech fabric so check out exoskin check out the show notes for discount code there and last big thank you to hammer nutrition if you haven't tried them out Feel free to use my promo code, referral code 252888 for 15% off your first order. I really like Perpetuum as a liquid calorie option. And then I'm using their vitamins every day. I think it's underappreciated within the ultra running community. I mean, it's one thing to eat clean and eat healthy, but then, you know, you can be missing something that you're not realizing. So, I really like their vitamin offerings. I just, I trust the name. So, you know, there's the coupon code. It'll be in the show notes if needed. But again, thank you to those Patreon supporters. I hope you guys are enjoying behind the scenes looks and early listens and whatnot. Enjoy the conversations. And when you guys share stuff on the closed Facebook group, that's really fun to watch. So big thank you to Brian Sands. He is in the highest tier that I offer. Very, very helpful, very supportive of this. David, Landon, Pat, Jared, Ray, Todd, Matthew. You guys are in the shout out tier. I really appreciate your help. And the economics of podcasts are not uh, not exactly what you think they are. So This Patreon group, you guys are helping make this all work, so I I just really appreciate it. And let's get on with the episode. Enjoy it. I'm joined here by Gonzo Jimenez. He is an ultra runner at heart, but also a chef, chocolatier. Gonzo, we've shared miles before, I think a few times actually. Welcome to the Train for Ultra podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Glad to have Alyssa Clark as co-host once again. Thanks for joining me, Alyssa. Yeah, of course. Really excited for this chat. You're really excited for this chat. <laughs> she's not she's not like Yeah. I mean, I don't think you can get a better combination than ultra running and chocolate. So you know, you're really you're really batting even right now. Or should I say golfing a hole in one? <laughs> we, we'll get to that i mean i well, yeah i can't believe talking before we started uh recording here that the chef is also a golfer i mean i got a lot in common with this guy i've been meaning to do this recording since we shared miles in leadville i think in 2018 yeah. um 
And yeah, I'm just glad to hear more about your story. I mean, start us off. Are you where are you based out of today? And and I want to hear more about so, your background. Okay, so well, uh, I'm I'm from Argentina originally, and uh, I've been living here in the U.S. Uh, since 2009. That's how I landed here in in Colorado, in Boulder, Colorado. And then I moved around quite a bit. I used to be a corporate pastry chef for for Hyatt Hotels. So that's how I moved around a lot. And then I landed back in Colorado uh, four years ago. And that's uh, basically when I started running. And I just just fell in love with the sport. So, yeah, right now I'm just in in Denver, Colorado. Nice. I mean, I'll take the listener back to when we first met. I was, I think it was mile like 47 (laughs) <laughs> yeah. during silver maybe, rush no, we like had like 40, three miles to like go 42. okay yeah you're right it was a little bit further you could you could smell the finish line enough just because of how you loop around and hear people um and we were both struggling quite a bit i mean <laughs> i i think i yeah i had done the bike ride the 50 mile bike ride the day before uh doing silver king and then you probably went out too hard or something i want to hear more about that race and and why we happened to uh have met there at mile 42 uh, yeah that race is actually my first 50 miler and my second ultra marathon so before that i did a 50k and that was in may and it was in in a greenland open space nice so my personality is like all or nothing so I signed up the, like nine months before that. I signed up for, for the Leadville 100. So I did in May the 50K. And then I did this race where we met, which is uh, in Leadville, the 50 miler. And then the month after that, I did the, the 100 miler. But yeah, it was that 50 miler was a rough, rough race. Uh, first time running that distance and, and altitude as well. I mean, that's just. I think we that had sound like an easy one. <laughs> yeah, it was it was hard. Um, I think I looked over and there were like two people in the middle of the woods, like cheering and clapping. And then I kind of like lean over to you as I was bonking and like, am I imagining there's two people up there or yeah. or am I hallucinating already? You you were you were tripping. You were hallucinating and seeing. Uh, I think you said like you saw a couple dwarfs or something like that and and you were you didn't remember or you couldn't realize if the people were actually real or not i remember that for sure i think i i don't think i was hallucinating i think it was more of sarcasm while bonking doesn't come across correctly (laughs) 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 but you know, it's unbelievable that you jumped in the sport in l- it's late 17, correct? Correct. Late 17. You do Dead Horse November 18th of 17. And less than a year later, you finish arguably maybe one of the top 10 hardest 100 milers. That's unbelievable. I mean, how did you even hear about ultra running and... I mean, I get the personality trait all or nothing, but you, I mean, this is like phenomenal. 
Yeah, actually, it's funny. Now on on September 11th, um, it's my third year anniversary of the first time I've ever went out for a trail run, uh, officially. And uh, a friend of mine took me out to to Greenland right here in in Lakewood. So we first started. I, I was I was running road before that, but just you know a normal runner going out there and doing five six miles. Uh, a couple days a week and that was pretty much it and then they took me out to the trails and then i remember running uphill i was suffering i was thinking you know in my head i'm like why would people like this this is awful like i feel like my heart is about to explode i'm about to throw up my lungs but then once we made it up there and then we started running downhill that's when i actually fell in love with the sport i'm like this is a rush of adrenaline right now it's, it's it feels pretty awesome and then I just, like little by little, I just started adding miles, and uh, I started like doing more research and looking into different people. And uh, then I got, you know, motivated by different people. And I heard of ultra running, and then I just fell in love with the sport. Awesome. Um, so, sorry. What um, what made you want to take on though these really challenging ultras? I mean. Again, all or nothing, but you then went to Leadville and Silver Rush. Um, what took that kind of rush of downhills to then, oh, I want to go go after these? Uh, I don't know. I think it was a, a combination of different things. And I started like meeting other people and other ultra runners. Uh, I got introduced to Philip Schneider from uh, the... the from Berkeley Park, yeah, yeah, and they showed me his video. He has like a video on on YouTube, uh, which is like a, a New Balance commercial or something like that. And I saw that video, and he just puts his belt buckle on top of the table, and he just looks <laughs> like the most badass thing I've ever seen. I'm like, I want to be like that dude right there. And I always give him crap about it because I, I go to the store, I buy all my stuff there. We're really good friends. Uh, actually, like. He was one of the, the, the first people that I met as an ultra runner. And I thought that dude was like the most badass guy ever. When He's I saw hilarious. That video. He's totally open, welcoming to everyone. And uh, we're actually going to have him and uh, Junko on for a episode coming up here. We're scheduling it right now. That's um, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, so how long were you road running for? Because you just, you made ultra running look stupid easy uh in 2018 <laughs> uh i mean were you running from a young age like not were really, you running not at, at all like, in argentina no before that uh i started running like on road just to like stay healthy kind of thing and that was like a year before uh we were living in santiago de chile and i was like chunky and overweight like an unhealthy lifestyle so i started playing squash uh, which was a sport that I practiced as a kid. And then I got back into it when I was in Chile. And then I started running again. And then we came back to the U.S. And I kept on running, running like on roads. And then I started trail running again. But yeah, I wasn't like, I didn't grow up running or anything like it. Like you mentioned before, uh, I grew up as a golfer, as a competitive golfer. That was my, my main sports. It's a good sport. Yeah. It's hard. Uh, it's very hard, and it's actually like 
mentally very, very hard. And that's the reason why like I was competitive, but I, I never made it far. Uh, tell me just my head my head was never there like it's tell me more about that connection because I mean I even I wrote about it and I think there's a direct connection between uh, ultra running and golf just like trying to go after almost like the impossible like you can never have a perfect round of golf you can never have a perfect ultra um, and then, yeah, the mental side of both of those sports, there has to be something there connecting why there's a, a crossover. Right. I mean, they're obviously they're both very, very challenging. Uh, what I see in golfing, it's that it's, it's like I said, it's a very mental game. But if you really get into your head when you're when you're doing a round of golf, it's you could have like a really hard time. Uh, and the way I see it, when you're when you're doing a hundred mile race, a fifty mile race, or two hundred mile race, all you have to do is just like one foot in front of the other. You got to be tough enough to just like keep on going. But it's not; it doesn't get technical, if you know what I mean. You know, like when, when you're golfing, you start and you're not having a good round. You start thinking about your swing and where your hands are at, where, where's your grip, like all these other technicalities. When it comes to running, it's just like you just keep on going, man. Just Barf, eat, <laughs> keep on running. <laughs> Do you think that the golf, though, um, because you really can get in a negative headspace, um, so you have to be flexible. Do you think that that translated to ultras where, you know, if if you like nothing's going to work out the way that you expect? Right. And th- that's a, that's a great question, because that's exactly the way it was when I, when I was a golfer. Now. When I was a golfer, I was a lot younger, right? I was, like, I started golfing when I was eight years old until I was 17, 18. And uh, I would get into that, yeah, negative uh, headspace. But now, when I started ultra running, I was a lot older. And I would say maybe a little bit wiser. So I, I'm i a lot more positive now and, and, and grateful so and I think that's like one of my main strengths when it comes to to ultra running. It's just I'm just a very positive guy, and and I could be having a rough time, and I'm still gonna be cracking jokes and and falling around. That's no matter what, I'm I'm still gonna be having a smile on my face. Are you or at least try? Are Gonzo? Are you gifted in whatever you try to go after? I mean, at eight years old, chatting before we hit record you said you had a hole in one you uh-huh. started golf at age eight you hit, so you had a hole in one like not only as a child but your very first <laughs> year of golfing like that normally doesn't come until you've mastered a skill right uh i mean no but like i've said before i'm all or nothing so since the day i started golfing I, I really got into it and I would just golf six days a week and I would just, you know, hit at least 300 balls every single day. I was yes. really, really into yeah. it. Until uh, your hands bled. Exactly. Like Ben Hogan. Yep. <laughs> That's how it was. But no, I would I wouldn't say that I'm 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 like gifted. I just work hard at it and, and that's how it was when I was a golfer. And then a holding one, I would say it's fifty-fifty. You have to hit like a really good shot, but then also it's it's the percentage of luck 
that little ball getting inside of the hole, actually. It's, it's like one in a million, but you had two of them, so there's more than right. luck involved. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So, also, too, I mean, maybe I'm jumping a little bit too fast, but um, I'd love to hear about how that mindset then goes into your work, um, because your work is art. I, I, I've looked at your website and was absolutely amazed. Um, so I'd love to hear. Is it science how, too? Yeah, well, like the science and the art and the perfectionism. Um, yeah, yeah. There's there's a little bit of, of all of that. Uh, again, like we said, I'm, I'm I have like an all or nothing uh, mentality. So the way I started cooking, I, I was very young. I was 18 years old, and I started as a dishwasher in uh, in Argentina, and then as you know, made my, my, my way up in the restaurant industry. And then I jumped into hotels. Uh, I went to culinary school and then I jumped into the sweet side of things. So I became a, a pastry chef and something even more challenging. I became a chocolatier, uh, working with chocolate. It's something extremely, uh, hard because you have to really understand how the product works. And there's a lot of chemistry involved. There's crystals and things like that. Same thing when it comes to confections and then, if we talk about doing it on an industrial level, which is things that I do nowadays, I do a lot of consulting for, for bigger chocolate companies, and I've been doing that for the last you know, five, six years. Uh, but that's one side of what I do. Then the, there's the artsy side of things, which is me doing these crazy chocolate sculptures. And those are skills that I've developed over time, just practicing and practicing. Uh and then, yeah, there's the business side of it, just like trying to be creative and coming up with campaigns and things like that. Thank God I have a, a strong business partner and he's really good with anything that is related to paperwork and taxes and HR and, and all that jazz. Because if you tell me, even till today, I still don't understand how taxes work, honestly. I just, I just come up with a cold chocolate stuff and then... <laughs> the rest of the stuff I don't I just don't touch it honestly I can't blame you that's how I'm feeling right now <laughs> <laughs> um, so how many times can you redo a, a chocolate sculpture like um, I also come from an art background and I know there's only so many times you can mess with something before it falls apart um, so what what is that like working with chocolate uh, working with chocolate I mean you could remelt chocolate and then you have to temper it again and then just mold it there's many techniques that i apply when it comes to a chocolate sculpture you can mold different things uh i carve a lot of other things there's just a thousand different techniques that that we apply uh and yeah so that the trick is actually tempering the chocolate the tempering process is something that you have to do to stabilize the, the crystals that are in the chocolate. Otherwise, if I don't do this, my chocolate is never going to be shiny or snappy or it would never release a mold. Uh, so it's it's part of one of the techniques that we always do is, is the tempering process. And then you do all the following things, which is, you know, carving, molding it. I do create my own molds So also. So I, you know, I work with silicone. I buy like, other like different chemicals and create my own molds for something for a custom piece for example so there are many many things going into into this 
labor. I love this. Just three artists uh, chatting about ultra running and, <laughs> and food. Um, it's awesome. It should should I be calling you chef? Is that the proper way of doing this? Or yeah, people call me chef, or <laughs> Gonzo, whatever it is. So, I mean, my background in art is painting. You know, the proper nice. technique is to to sketch and then put paint on and go from there and layer and and then when I don't like it, I normally will just paint over it and then I think about it and liked what I just covered up. Is that do you sketch out your projects and how many times are you going back and like modifying it or are you kind of like you just nail it the first time and then move on and no, I usually, let's say, I'm, I'm going to sketch something. Yeah, I always start sketching. Uh, and then once I have the piece in front of me, and it's like 3D right there, I'm going to start, I'm always going to start tweaking things and, and just changing it. Uh, so I could sketch something and then I end up with something totally different uh, a couple days later. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be that kind of guy that doesn't, <laughs> I'll just change it a thousand times until it's done. Yeah. I and, do that a lot. And like by completion, are you like still not happy with the final product? Because <laughs> no, some like, are you uh, happy with it at the end? When it comes to something artistic, like a, like a chocolate sculpture, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't take a picture of it or present it or give it to a customer if it's not one hundred percent up to my standards and kind of like what I was visioning or something similar to it. Yeah. Now, when it comes to something to a confection or a dessert. Or a cake, for example. I'm never going to be happy with that. I think that when it comes to flavors, there's always something that I could do better. That's that's just the way I am. Uh, but that's it's it's different when there's when there's you know flavor uh, compared to something that is just visual. Because all these chocolate sculptures, to be honest, yeah, it's 100% edible and it's all chocolate. But people like. People mostly don't eat this. I, that's why they're called showpieces. Uh, I've sold a couple for, for events, and people just break them down and eat the chocolate. But it's, it's honestly just straight dark chocolate. That's all it is. Hmm. So there's not and, like such a huge flavor profile into it. Gotcha. Well, where do you get your inspiration for these showpieces? Um, is it more directed to you when you're creating them or can you you know draw from the trails or draw from outside perspectives uh there's many many things like it could be from traveling uh it could be from different buildings that i've seen uh i, I really like architecture uh i started doing a lot since i started trail running i do a lot of things like related to mountains and nature but every all People like I try hallucinate. to do a lot of modern things, so I do a yes. lot of like bears and oh, and cool. mountains and trees. I like all that stuff. Those two people you hallucinated at Silver Rush? Uh, <laughs> no, not yet. But it was funny. Like right after Tahoe from from last year, I got obsessed with bears. Yeah. Uh, so I started doing a lot of things with bears and bear paws and stuff like that because that's. Uh, like during Tahoe, I started hallucinating bears, and like that was three nights in a row. It was, it was part of my thing, seeing bears everywhere. <laughs> Let's. So my last question that I want as sort of a crossover here to get back into ultra running 
um, when you're sculpting, sketching, whatever, um, being artistic, are you sort of in the zone mentally? And then I want to hear if that's anywhere similar to being in the zone while you run. Uh, yeah, 100%. Uh, it happens. Sometimes I could be working on a showpiece and I could start at two o'clock in the afternoon and then I look at my watch and it's eight o'clock at night and I'm like, holy cow, I got to go home and my wife is waiting for us to like have dinner and like six, six hours flew by cause I'm just really into it. I just don't realize what's happening outside of. So it's work. like hyper focus and I assume the same thing with golf. Like yeah, you correct. can enter the zone there too. Yeah. Okay. One hundred percent. Just trying to connect the dots here, Gonza. You're you're a fascinating, <laughs> dude. Um, so, how did you follow up Leadville One Hundred? Were you excited that you had succeeded? Was the experience so bad that you it took you a while to get back? Or, or tell me how that worked out. And I want to hear about 2019 for you. Uh, Leadville 100, it was a great experience. I mean, that's when I realized it's, it's like, you know, the typical thing that everybody tells you, if you can, like, you learn a lot from races like that and you learn about yourself, which I actually did. Uh, I learned about myself going up, uh, whole pass more than I ever learned in like my whole life about myself and how tough I actually was. Funny thing about this race, I started uh, the race with a sprained ankle. I sprained my ankle three weeks before the race in the doing the maroon bells. So my ankle was still swollen and like purple looking. It was crazy. Uh, but I still like got myself on that start line and, and just pushed through. And I was having a great race until I started going up uh, Hope Pass. It was an awful, awful time. I think it took me... I feel like two hours to do two miles, if I'm not wrong. I could not move. I would not stop throwing up. And then I made it up and just things got better. It was like severe dehydration. And I learned about like, you know, eating properly, drinking. I needed salt, sugar and everything else. So I finished that race. And like, I think it was like 29 hours and 16 minutes. Wow. Uh, but I mean, I finished it. It was great, great experience. And then after that, I said, "Hey, you know what? I can keep doing this just for for fun." I think it was a good experience. And then, yeah, next year I looked for something even harder because <laughs> that was so fun. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh! And and so what? What did you look for? What was harder than that? It was like kind of the uh, A goal of the year, right? Then. After that, I looked for the Tahoe 200. I started seeing on Instagram and everywhere else, like, these 200-mile races. And then I started thinking, like, yeah, that's not for me. That's not for me. I'm not there yet. And then just one day out of the blue, I just signed up. I swear I you messaged so. me. I, I am having, like, a flashback. <laughs> I swear you messaged me about this. Yeah, I, I did. Because I saw that you were, you were doing, actually, the Triple Crown. Yeah, and that's when I told you, like, "Hey, we're gonna see each other in Tahoe." Yeah, and then as soon as I signed up, I was already like, my coach was uh, Addie Bracy, and then uh, well, she still is, uh, and I texted her. I'm like, "Hey, we have a good big goal this year. We're gonna run 200 miles." <laughs> and she was, how was she scared and excited <laughs> at the same time? She was like, "Yeah, let's do it." 
so yeah, it was. And she's going after her first hundred. So you guys were kind of going into nineteen together, scared out of your minds. Right. I think I think it was nineteen that she did Leadville. Um, yeah, it was the same the same year actually. That was her first. Uh, was it? I think yeah, it was her first hundred mile race. She placed second. Yep. Uh, yeah. Melissa, what do you have? I was just gonna say, um, how did <laughs> so that focus that you've built up from doing you know hours and hours of sculpture? How did that translate to being moving for days and days? Like, can you keep that focus, or did you find yourself coming in and out of it? Uh, no, I would say for like a really long race, I just come in and out of it all the time. Something really, this is funny, like a lot of people ask me about this. Uh, I've been in the food and beverage industry since I was 18 years old. So I'm used to spending a lot of time standing on my feet. Like like 12 hours, I've done like 18-hour shifts, I've done 24-hour shifts, like nonstop. So I'm, I'm, I'm used to like just standing up. I think my legs have been doing this for a long, long time. So I think that would help to me nowadays with doing these crazy races absolutely i mean that's that's like great training for sleep deprivation for just time on feet um, right building up muscles um but so how how was that transition from because it kind of looks like you went 100 miler and then back down to the 50ks and then and like 100k and then back up um is that kind of your sweet spot of distance or no, it's just I, I was, you know, during that year, I was just doing every race that I could signing up. And I think 2019, I ended up doing, I think, like 11 ultras or 10 ultras, something like that. Yeah, most of them were 50Ks. Uh, Didn't even do one a month. Miles. You couldn't even hit one a month? Come on, Gonzo. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yeah, there was one that I that either got canceled or i didn't run it for some reason and that was going to be in december but that was it yeah you were were actually that was your goal (laughs) i think that was my goal pretty much like one a month or 12 for the whole year wow that could have been great uh with a casual 200 in there (laughs) with the with the 200 and that one yeah that was a great race so how how did silver rush in 19 go for you um it I'm guessing it went a little bit better. Oh, a lot better, actually. You know, I'm I'm already one more year into the sport, and I was doing like good proper training, uh, and hitting it hard. So yeah, it was actually a lot better. I think I did it under. No, I don't remember what is this like under nine? No, ten. Not, yeah, under ten hours. That's what it was. And that was my goal, actually, under ten hours, if I'm not wrong. It was barely like nine hours and fifty-eight minutes or something like that. I can't exactly remember. I, I think the huge irony is like we were right there for that last. Sh- oh my god, that is true. Short, I remember seeing pictures. Yes, yes, short, yes, we finished together too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that now. So uh, we timed out our bonks the previous year, and then <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> that's hilarious. And and so that race had to give you confidence. Going sub ten hours at Silver Rush fifties, I think it's not necessarily gold standard, but that is a, a good target to show you have some fitness level going into Tahoe two hundred. 
Um, exactly. Did you try to do any other big events prior to going into your big A race of the year? Uh, yeah, I did 100 miler uh, in South Dakota. That was a Lean Horse 100. Uh, that was three weeks before the Tahoe 200. I did this 100 miler. That was actually a really flat 100 miler. I think the total gain was 5,000 feet or something like that. I don't remember. And every, it wasn't like technical whatsoever. It was this gravel road that goes out for 50 miles and then comes back another 50 miles. Uh, which was actually really hard on the body because you don't yeah. stop running and like everything's 100% runnable. So you don't change your muscle group at all. Uh, but I powered through and I was actually on third place until mile 70. And then we decided to practice the whole sleeping thing. So I took two naps in the middle of the night. I took one first 15 minute nap and then I took off, and I was still pretty much falling asleep while running. And then I took a second 15-minute nap, and then got up, and that hit the spot, actually. And then I just kept on running. And it was it was a great race. My wife was there uh, crewing for me. She crewed and paced me. And she also, like, didn't sleep for, you know, 21 hours that took the race. Uh, and, yeah, she paced me for the last 20 miles, actually. It was pretty cool. Awesome. What um what was the conversation like with your coach following that race? I mean, you placed sixth in a hundred miler. You ran a sub twenty two hour hundred miler, and uh-huh. arguably you've only been doing it for two years. Right, and it was uh, so. I was talking to Addie, and she like she was very surprised because this is the thing. Like this race was. I was just supposed to go out there and put a good long time effort. That's all it was. I wasn't actually raising or anything. But then I it was I was at mile twenty of this race and I was feeling good and I was still, you know, going solid and I just never stopped. I just kept on pushing it. So going into the Tahoe two hundred that was three weeks after that, I was feeling really, really good and really confident. Uh and, you know, like, my thing, honestly, is not I'm not a good climber. Uh, like, anything that is with a lot of elevation gain is not much my jam. i rather the flat races more that I just keep on cranking and just yeah. put one one rhythm, just keep on going forever. That's more my, my thing, to be honest. Uh, but I was still feeling pretty pretty solid for, for the Tahoe 200. And, yeah, so was, climb, climbing's not your jam, and so you got Tahoe 200, and it has I want to say thirty, uh, maybe forty thousand feet of gain or something like that. I think it's thirty-eight. Yeah, thousand. Correct. Um, so you were confident with your aerobic fitness level. I mean, what was your strategy? Like, get out the hiking poles as much as possible for the ups. Oh yeah, like one hundred percent. Like I started that race with my hiking poles on my hands, and I never let him go i did the whole 206 miles with my hiking poles on my hands and uh part of the strategy for that addy had me like hitting a lot of 14ers that summer so i hiked a lot and and that's how i learned to actually power hike and nowadays that's what i do during long races i just grab my poles and i can you know i can crank some some good uphills just power hiking pretty pretty fast you go with the leckies or I have no the the black diamond. Black diamond, black diamond yeah. That's nice. 
It's really underrated how being good at hiking can save your races. Like that makes such a huge difference. Oh yeah. Especially in in a 200 mile race when I knew that there's going to be a lot of hiking involved for sure. Uh, Now, did you have a sleep strategy going into it? Not really. Like I knew I was going to like sleep every night for a little bit. And yeah, so the first night I think I did 15 minutes on the trail. Then the second night, I think we slept. I stopped and I did like 40 minutes, if I'm not wrong. And then the third night, I did one hour and 20 minutes. That's light. It's That's not super much, light. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, how how was that race going for you? I mean, uh, were you hitting the was, climb smoothly? I mean, you start off, your feet are just destroyed by. Um, what is it, Rubicon Trail? Yeah, that, that, that was like the hardest part. Dust. The Rubicon was, yeah. was really, really tough. Uh, it was it was a good race, but it was funny. Like when I hit mile 100, or like, do you remember like where the power line is? That, that really... Uh, I remember that section well, yeah. I hit it like at noon in the sun. <laughs> right. So, yeah, like I hit it also, like, almost around there, maybe a little bit earlier. And I am suffering, man. Like, I'm really, really in pain going up this thing. And I'm in a really negative spot. And I'm with my pacer. And I'm just, like, cursing at the world and at the race director for putting that <laughs> that hill right there. And I'm, like, bushwhacking and everything. And I, just, I remember I just got so angry that I started climbing really, really fast. And actually what happened, I just brought up my heart rate. I started sweating a lot again. And so my blood kind of like started flushing once again. So all the pains were gone. Yeah. So we made it all up there. For some reason, I'm with my pacer. I started crying, man. I started sobbing like a six-year-old kid for like, I don't know why. And then my, my pacer was scared. He thought that I hurt, my, I hurt myself or something. I'm like, no, I'm ready to go. And then we just took off and started running. So we kept like a running tempo for a long period of time after that. So you were almost like over salted and then sweated it out in like your electrolytes balanced out at the top. I, that could probably be one of the reasons. And then the other thing is like my hips were really, really tight. And then I just like warmed up, I warmed up again and then the pain was gone. Okay. Yeah. So that, like really there was a big descent going down down uh yeah. to that aid station it was kind of never ending it felt like yeah probably beat the heck out of your hips and then yeah that climb you're not you're not understating it the very top like i would say 30 yards before the top yeah i just remember like i was probably cursing uh, <laughs> but it was a great view once you got up to the top. <laughs> it was beautiful. I just sat down there for like a minute. I was, like I said, I was literally crying. Uh, and then we just took off and started like, yeah, it was downhill after that. And we were, yeah, we just kept that great running so tempo after that. Did you fill up your water bottle in that stream? Yes, we actually did. Okay. And then, yeah, it's crushable. Um, after you do the climb, but you must have been just power hiking up and then down into the next aid station with full head of steam. Yeah, that's exactly how it went. Um, that's exactly how it went. 
And I mean, walk me through how you finish this race. The second half of this race is kind of brutal. You follow that up with a 20 mile stretch between aid stations. There's no water stops really. Um, where were you mentally like for that next 20 mile segment and then kind of walk me through if you even saw a storm at all, you finished this race a lot faster than I did. I, yeah. So the, the last 20 miles, that's when I picked up, uh, Wilma, my wife, she was my last pacer and she was, she was trained. She trained for like six months to, to pace me for this. Cause there was going to be like a lot awesome. of, you know, a lot of climbing involved. Uh, and I was, man, I was crushing, honestly. We got to a point that I actually dropped her going uphill. Like, I was power hiking, but, man, I'm talking about, like, I was doing 15-minute miles, like, power hiking, like, these really steep things. So I dropped her, and we were trying to, we saw the the clouds accumulating up there, and the air started changing, it started getting, like, really chilly, so I made it all the way up there. My wife was behind me like a mile behind. So what I did, I actually went back to get her and like help her like push through and like, come on, babe, we got to get going because storm, the storm is coming. So I went back down to get her. We came back up and then, yeah, we just really rushed it and we ran. Like we're, we were trying to beat the storm, basically. That okay. was actually pretty, pretty scary. So was that... Did you go back and double up and add that bonus mile in? Was that like yeah, mile one ninety five, or was that the yeah. last climb? So I ended up doing like two hundred and nine miles, something like that. You're a good husband. Yeah, seriously. Because <laughs> I knew that she was going to be really scared, like going up and seeing like all those clouds. So I'm just like trying to motivate her, and being like, "Hey, babe, come on, let's go. We gotta go." Cause it was dangerous. It's gonna get gnarly in here. Yeah, it was, it was like pretty dangerous. It was, yeah. Um, and so when you hit the finish line, um, tell me how that felt going through finishing something that you know you seriously questioned when you signed up for it. Right. It was like the honestly like the biggest accomplishment of my life. Like not even compared to anything I've done work related or. And especially like what it meant because it was something that I did with my wife. She put so much effort into it, into like crewing and organizing the whole thing. Uh, And then my friends from Colorado where they're like crewing and pacing, you know, you get like very, very emotional. And that's when you realize that there's nothing that cannot be done if there's a lot of, you know, effort into it. And then you have the right people by your side. So it was like a very emotional moment, actually. It It was pretty awesome. That's that's awesome. I'm I'm impressed you had the energy to be emotional at the end. Honestly, I yeah, and I, so I, I'm so I didn't spent. know. I, didn't I, drop I can't a cry or anything. Tear. I'm just too tired. Like <laughs> I did, I didn't honestly I did not cry or anything at the end. Uh, it was like emotional, like like thinking about it and all this stuff. Yeah. Usually in races, I get emotional. I start crying like out of the blue at like mile eighty or fifty or whatever. It's just fun. It's just at random moments. So I, got, I guess I accumulate crap while running, and then I just start crying. <laughs> it's just those power lines. You, you've had to flashback to Leadville, those power lines. The power lines are just following you. Um, <laughs> what? Tell me, when you looked over the belt buckles, what that was like, because there was a lot of them on the table to choose from. How did you select one? 
Like, did your wife help you pick one? And walk me through uh, that, because it's a special experience that not a lot of people have had before. Right. It was uh, pretty cool. No, and obviously I picked up one with uh, just a bear walking. Yes. Just one one bear. Uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. Actually, seeing all those belt buckles and you get to choose yours, I think that's a great touch that, that she... In a great detail that she she has on that race. They're all unique uh, belt buckles. Like ev- everyone's unique, like handmade, yeah. And man, by the way, th- this race is like perfectly organized. Like it's it's incredible how she puts these races together. It's it's very very well done. I don't think outsiders like really have a perspective on the complexity of dropping aid stations, literally in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Um. I think crew gets a taste of that if you have to drive out three hours and back three hours to get to an aid station. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I can't under overemphasize that enough. Um, tell me about the bear that you picked. Why? What's the importance of the bear on the belt buckle that you picked? Uh, mainly because like that that was my my full on hallucination. Like every time, like I was exhausted every single night. I would start seeing bears, and there were like normal bears, cartoon bears, baby bears behind rocks, all sorts of bears. I think that was just like, you know, the pre-race meeting. Uh, she mentions that there might be black bears. Don't be scared, and such and such. And I think that got stuck in my head. Same here. Uh, and then for <laughs> some reason, like, I was just hallucinating. And it's funny, like one of my pacers showed up on the third day, and on the third night at the aid station, he got there and he goes. Hey, uh, he's hallucinating with bears about bears, and the rest of the crew is like, "Yeah, dude, like that was since the first night, so it's okay." <laughs> this has been going for a long time. It's okay. <laughs> Did you ever get auditory hallucinations? Like, think you heard the bears? Uh, no. It was. I think it was this the first night. Actually, we stopped and I slept on on the trail, like on the side of the trail. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually trying to, you know, put those 15 minutes of sleep and my pacer is right next to me and he's awake and he's hearing all sorts of things. And he didn't tell me anything. He didn't say that I actually heard a bear or maybe it was a mountain lion. We had no idea. It could have been a deer. Uh, yeah. We don't know what it was, but he was he told me afterwards that he, he got pretty nervous. He didn't he didn't know what was around that area. So wait, what night was that? That was the first night. First night, okay. Yeah. Um, I was I was talking to Hillary, one of the photographers out there, and um, she saw fresh uh, mountain lion prints in the snow, like right as that snowstorm blew in. Wow. Um, and I think she ended up like sleeping out there on a mountaintop, like essentially next to the mountain lion. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, she, she confirmed and she hadn't been racing. So, she, you know, it wasn't a hallucination that there were mountain lion tracks out there. It's like right. pretty insane. Um, why didn't you sleep more? If you're hallucinating uh, that bad, you, you've done your research, you know, if it's getting bad, you just need a, a little bit longer nap. Were you really pushing for a goal time, or what's driving you uh, to get this done so quick? Uh, no, I don't. I, th- I think that I, I started pushing. I was, I was trying to get like a good goal once I hit like mile one twenty, one thirty. Once I hit that like running te- uh, tempo after 
yeah. on the on the second hundred miles. That's when I kept like pushing. But before that, I, I don't know. I I was thinking maybe I could do with like three like thirty minutes each night kind of thing. Uh, but honestly, I think it was just a matter of not knowing what I was doing when it comes to sleeping or not. It was my first time okay. doing a 200-mile race, so I was just learning as we go kind of thing. It's a cool race <laughs> for sure. Yeah, like, oh, yeah. Mile, I think it was like mile 100 to 120, being out solo in the dark. Did you hit that section in the dark? I don't mean to jump all the way back to that section, but that was some of the most plush trail I think I've ever run, or at least... Yeah. From my perception of those trails, it was pitch dark out. Um, oh, yeah. The way they flow kind of downwards or flat, um, it was just it was, special. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then, yeah, there, there are so many so many things. Cause, uh, we went to Tahoe not so long ago to crew for a buddy of mine who was trying to do the, the – to break the record on the, on the whole rim trail. And so we were there crewing for him, and, and a lot of memories came back. And something that I also remember was the silent in the middle of the night, just hearing the wind mm-hmm. through the trees. Yeah, and the cracks in the trees. Yeah, yeah, that was incredible. Like, I've never... Like, that, just listening to the wind, it was pretty amazing. And I just... I, I, I lived that again uh, a couple months ago. It's pretty cool. So, what do you have coming up? I see it in green on uh, Ultra Sign Up, but. Uh... <laughs> so, 200 miles weren't enough, so we signed up for 240. <laughs> right now, we're going to do the Moab 240. You're, you're a sick man. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, you cannot talk. <laughs> exactly. I'm just following That's the your joke. Death, That's the joke. Uh, <laughs> tell me about this. But why did you select it, and tell me how your training's been throughout this chaotic year? Uh, training has been good. I've been actually uh, I discovered uh, mountain biking not so long ago, so I've been putting a lot of like mountain biking miles combined with uh, with running. So I feel like my legs are actually getting a lot stronger. Uh, but yeah, it's actually been really good for the last you know, seven months we've been, we've been training for this and I'm, I'm very excited. I know very little about the race. I've done like my research. Uh, I watched your, your, the, your show. So we did our, our homework with, with all the work that you put into that. So that was actually pretty cool that it helped out a lot actually. Awesome. Uh, but yeah. And then I have Wilma, my wife, she's, she's planning the whole thing. She's the crewing queen basically. Uh, so hopefully I just need to focus on, running and one foot in front of the other just put a smile on my face and keep on going uh but yeah i'm I'm very very excited actually i i mean any insights you need let me know um i've i've done it twice now but it's it's like that tahoe kind of special experience where it's sort of unbelievable once you get to that finish line so savor it it's it's a special event I was planning on doing it this year, but I think I'm going to bow out and give my spot to someone else just because I feel like I'm hogging these events that have now become, you know, very, very difficult to get into. Yeah. Um, and I want to I want to let, you know, other people have that special experience. And 
I would awesome, man. That's very generous of you. That's that's pretty cool. I yeah. Uh, Rob just wants to do it next year with me. (laughs) (laughs) It's the one year I've had like six people reach out to offer to like crew and pace and. Um, I'm, I'm going to enjoy a, a nice little virtual race, I think this year, um, in October, but nothing crazy. And I'm focused in on, on getting prime for 2021, honestly. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. Tell me, um, have you changed your training much just to get back on the Moab 240 for a few more minutes here? Have you changed your training drastically from getting ready for Tahoe 200? Uh, no, Base level so miles much. and that sort of thing? No, like the, the, the main thing is, uh, so we're still doing a lot of like the climbing. We just train hitting 14ers and, and doing, that's how we do like mountains. It's just grab the poles and just do a lot of power hiking. And then it's, it's all about uh, just long days out there. So what I'm what I've been doing a lot like there's for example I don't know on a Sunday I'm gonna get out there and do 23 miles and then I come home real quick I just grab the mountain bike and go out there for another 25 miles on the on the mountain bike or 30 miles on the on the bike so it's it's about like putting those five six hour efforts yeah like that uh, a couple of weeks just out of the blue with with a buddy of mine we just went to washington park and we ran 35 32 35 miles around it nice just for fun just to put like a long effort so it's it's been a lot of that throughout the summer so my only two cents are you look at the course profile and you're like oh there's only 30 something thousand feet of gain i think it's 30,000 um, yeah correct don't forget it takes like 30,000 feet to get up Ev- mount everest so it's not necessarily the type of climbs. Some are steep. It's where they fall during the race. It's the hard part of this. So it's accumulated fatigue after days of running that you hit certain sections where maybe it's 8,000, 10,000 feet of climbing for the next day. Like you, you're already on mile 100 and whatever. Um, right. So that's the hard part of this. And it becomes... Uh, a battle of did you bring enough supplies for certain sections depending if the course gets rerouted or not and then uh it's just you're beat up and then you're asked to do like a decently hard climb um and yeah all those aid stations you think you're there as you know but you're still not there (laughs) correct you're always just just two miles away (laughs) Yeah, and, and like in, in a race that long, three miles away is long ways, man. Three miles is a lot. <laughs> it is. But yeah, just if you hit certain sections like por- Porcupine Rim, time it out for daylight. It's night. It's literally night and day um, doing that. Like I've done it both in the night and in the day. And uh-huh. in the day with Matt Daniels was phenomenal. Like so much easier than hallucinating in the dark and being confused and having a sugar rush and then bonking and not knowing what was going on. Yeah. I, I hear you. But yeah, reach, taking notes right now. Yeah. Reach <laughs> out if you need anything on that front. I want to finish with, I want to talk gear and then some food related stuff. And then, you know, just really appreciated you taking the time here. 
Um, how, do you, how do you feel about chocolate flavored gels? I'll start off with that one. Oh, that's a good one. Chocolate flavored gels. That's <laughs> as a that chocolatier. Actually, uh, hold on, I'm trying to think which ones I've had. It, it, was it the, the goo one that is like chocolate and coffee? The mocha one. I, goo makes them. Uh, I think hammer makes honey one. Stinger, hammer. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone oh, tries. I tried the hammer one. It was actually pretty good. Uh, I think I've tried the goo one and it wasn't bad, but yeah, I mean, when it comes to chocolate and running, I, I love it. Like I could, I could do chocolate all day. Like sometimes I make my own, my own snacks and I bring my own chocolates, uh, for sure. I think the chocolate's like a great, um, energy and and it's easy to digest. So it's got a good amount of fat and sugar. It's it's good for you. For, it will stay in touch, but for training for adventure, we could do a top 10 chocolate running related products with a chocolatier. I think that would be phenomenal to have you grade to awesome. like grade chocolate flavored items. Um, anyways, I'm, I'm very ADD today. Um, what, so tell me more about you making chocolates for yourself. I want to hear how you're fueling yes. for these races especially tahoe 200 like did you make your own little chocolate creations that were macro like did you put a ton of thought into the how they're made up um not compared uh, to how you're gonna burn fat yeah uh so like i've played around and i've done a lot of my own snacks i, I do like my own version of bobo bars like dipped in chocolate uh, for okay. myself and this is something that i just do it for fun just for me but most of the time I honestly just you know like we have in our production facility i have like this big packaging room of all of these 60 different confections and i just pick and choose and grab a couple of things and i just throw them in my pack uh we have a really wide variety of different chocolate bars and, and candy bars there's like this uh, peanut butter uh, rice crispy treat covered in chocolate. I love that for running. I just throw that into my pack, and I think it's pretty awesome. Real easy to digest. Uh, sometimes you just grab like a handful of chocolate coins. I'm gonna put in a Ziploc bag, and that's what I munch on while. Are you while serious? Running. Chocolate coins. I love it. I love it too. I was actually gonna ask your thoughts on chocolate and peanut butter. If that was acceptable. I- oh yeah, like well, and 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 special. So I'm. Um, I'm French trained, right? That's that's this kind of stuff that we do. It's a patisserie and a, and a chocolaterie, and, and the stuff that we do is actually very Frenchy, high end. But then I also have like the whole line of American items that is like chocolate and peanut butter and caramel, because those are the things that actually sell, and that's what people like. So there's there's nothing wrong with it. I want a line of like Chef Gonzo endurance treats or something like that. All. Right. All designed specifically for your UD or Nathan Pack or whatever you're wearing, Solomon. Um, <laughs> we could definitely do something like that. That would be awesome, actually. <laughs> um, let's. Any other insights on your food, and then I want to hear about your gear and let you get back to life. Yeah, uh, let's say about food. Uh, no, man. Like it's mostly. I do like eight station stuff like lots of coca-cola and quesadillas uh i do spring for for gels but obviously it's funny like i'm gonna start the race with 20 gels in my pack and when i'm <laughs> at gel number six i'm like 
F this. I don't want to eat this I'm anymore. Like, I hate like this today. <laughs> Correct. I'm so with you. Uh, so that that happens quite a bit. And something funny that actually happened last year during uh, the Tahoe 200. You know, like the people that run these 200 miles, uh, like I call them like a different breed of ultra runners. I don't include myself there because uh, there's some really old school badasses over there, like ex-army type of guys, right? And I saw this at the start line. There were like this, all these dudes in their 50s. And they were coming from, like, Europe and all these crazy races all over the world. And I just overheard all these conversations. I'm like, this is not my scene kind of thing. But then I would go, I would, you know, sit down at the aid station. I see these older dudes just pounding on, like, spaghetti and meatballs and three burgers at a time, like five slices of pizza. I'm like, who are these guys? So I sat down at an aid station and they just put a burger on my plate and i'm like you know what i want to try and do what these guys are doing so i had a full-on burger and this was a like mile 100 or 110 i don't remember i messed up my stomach for the rest of the race (laughs) really (laughs) oh yeah the only thing that i was able to put down were oreos and coca-cola so i literally ran the second hundred miles on coca-cola and oreos and water nice because i I could not put anything else in my stomach. Like, I was in pain. Uh, but that that's when I learned, like, hey, you know what? Like, just because other dudes are doing burgers, it doesn't mean that you have to do it. <laughs> I feel like I hit a section where the burgers were, like, cold or something. Um, I, I don't know. There was don't a lot- get me wrong. It was, like, the most delicious burger I've ever had in my life. It, was, like, it tasted amazing at that point. But then we took off, and four miles after that, I was... In pain. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I've I've been there though of living off of Coke. I mean Coca Cola. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's Coca-Cola it is a reviving thing. Like oh yeah. Ah gosh, I've run races off of Coca Cola too. <laughs> Indeed. And so combined what, with Oreos, even yeah, better. That's, that's a winning combination. So um, go for it, Rob. I I just have a weird question. There's a tendency, like, if you overdo it on sugar that you spend a lot of time in the bushes, uh, do you experience that at all? Do you have stomach distress, like, from too much sugar? Or Not- is your body essentially adapted to chocolate? Like, uh, I think my, my body, like, runs on sugar. I'm, like, really used to it. <laughs> uh, chocolate adaptation. So yeah. much better than fat adaptation. <laughs> so I, I don't have, like, any issues of, like going to the bathroom all the time if i ever have stomach issues it's going to be like me throwing up and that happens every time i run in level actually There's but not in, 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 in other places something I, I i threw up marking trail there i still i'm confused at what yeah. happened there um <laughs> <laughs> indeed i want to hear about your gear what, what shoes are you wearing toe socks uh, no toe socks I run on Hocus. Nice. Uh, and then just regular, I think I do Stan socks. And then for pack, I like the, the Ultra Spire packs. Hmm. I'm like one of their, their uh, non-professional ambassador kind of thing. Uh, so I get like a really good deal on, on their gear. So nice. I like their, their packs and that's that's what I use. Any other then, any other tricks you picked up from two hundred milers in terms of gear that you like? 
Not really. Something that I've learned from from last year is that I just had so much gear and things that I didn't need. I feel like I could do a 200-mile race now with a third of the stuff that we were carrying around just in case. And and something, a huge trick that I actually learned from the Tahoe 200 that it was even more helpful than actually sleeping, it was I stopped and I took a shower. Uh, mm. So we, we had, my wife had, she was driving the, the, we rented a camper for the race, and I just felt so dusty and dirty and exhausted. So I took a three-minute shower just to get all that dust off and just put on, like, clean clothes and that was more revitalizing than actually taking a nap it was incredible i'm so super I'm jealous doing, super jealous I'm, of that <laughs> i'm planning on doing the same thing uh for the moab 240 it's just now we're gonna be like i have my my, my camper van and i'm just gonna have like one of those outside shower kind of thing and i'm just gonna plan to take a shower and just you know get that fresh air kind of thing that you get from from being cleaner yeah mile 120 Absolutely. mile 200 sound like yeah. perfect shower breaks to me honestly just to get that dust off like your face your neck all over your legs uh that it gets pretty pretty exhausting uh and you know you've been accumulating like sunscreen plus the dust it's, it's just horrible so if you if you're, if you're feeling a little bit cleaner i think that you're you know i feel like brand new Absolutely. I mean, it's like the, I think I brushed my teeth during my first hundred miler. Oh yeah. Before I went and I was like, Oh, I feel so much better. It's like a that mental makes a shower. Huge difference yeah. too. Yeah. 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 Um, so where can we follow you, um, on social media? We, uh, I'm so excited to see you do take on Moab. I expect so, live updates yeah, my... too on Moab two fifty two forty. Rob only <laughs> yeah. you did two fifty. Sorry, said the wrong thing. Oh, that's true. I forgot about that from last year. You did <laughs> ten extra miles just to just for funsies. <laughs> no, that was awesome. That's a great cost. Uh, so kudos to you, man. Oh, thank you. Uh, but yeah, so my Instagram handle is chef and then Facebook is uh, Gonzalo Jimenez. But I'm not that much into into facebook honestly so yeah like everything you're gonna be seeing everything on on my instagram account chef gonzo thank thank you so much for joining us honestly it's it's way long overdue and i'm super excited for you to experience moab 240 it's it's a special treat and can't wait to have some of your chocolate here soon but take care and and let's stay in touch i want to hear more about your moab 240 after you finish it so definitely stay in touch and thanks for all your time today awesome man thank you guys for for having me uh on the podcast it was an honor and then yeah you'll be tasting my chocolates pretty soon so stay tuned to that stay tuned for that and uh yeah we'll we'll keep you posted about uh moa awesome thanks so much all right thank you guys and that was episode 147 of the Training for Ultra podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Big thank you to Chef Gonzo for taking so much of his time. I'm just inspired. I, I like everything he's doing, and I'm going to try to go out of my way to make a run or two with him just because he's based out of Denver here. Big thank you to Alyssa Clark, as always, for co-hosting. 
She's doing a lot of amazing work on training the number four adventure.com. So check out some of her work there. And big thank you to the show sponsors, Hammer Nutrition, Exoskin, Kogala. And if you're interested in advertising on the podcast, feel free to reach out to me and I'll be taking on some new sponsors here in the next month or two. So again, big thank you to the show sponsors, Patreon supporters. I'll leave a link in the show note to Chef Gonzo's website and company that he's doing. And I'm just doing what I can to support small businesses through this time and share inspirational content with you guys. So hopefully you're enjoying it. Don't forget to enjoy your training. Have a great week.